It's painful doing it, but <laughs> is it? Why have you got hasn't cystitis? Hasn't it always or been? <laughs> it hurts to pee. Is that, is oh, that shut up! What's it? going on here? Who's pinging? Is that you or me? Yeah, no, it's me. I'm I'm moving things around. Sorry, right. uh, that's it. I'll, I'll, I'll stop touching things. I'll put my boxing gloves on so I can't fiddle. Oh, you should have said that a few years ago, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Ben. <laughs> I'm a has been. <laughs> I am a total has been. It's true. I'm at least I'm not a never was. I like to think I'm not a never was. Ooh. I, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm a never was. I, I've been interacting with people on Twitter recently who just keep saying, You never achieved anything. What? I'm like, well, really? I don't know, maybe who I didn't achieve that? much. <laughs> Some oh, your ex-wife woman. has been has I, got herself so, a Twitter so my, account. So my current bugbear on Twitter is all these old boomers who are saying, "Bring back Boris," who I loathe. I don't. Well, I don't loathe him personally. He's, I'm sure he's, he's a fun dinner party companion, but as leader of the country, he's a bit of a joke. And um, they're all saying we had it terrible in the 1960s and 1970s. Yada yada yada. And I'm like, hang on. When you bought your house in 1970, the average income was such that if it was equivalent oh, to Oh, no, don't start on that. You don't go five minutes without saying I know, that. It's, I told you it's a bugbear What was the average income? What would it be now in, in right, equivalent? If, if house prices Come on, had all this lot might not have heard it 12 times. It would be £84,000 a year would be the average salary. Just think what a rich bitch you'd be. Who says I'm not earning that? <laughs> I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hang on. I know who you work for, and I'm pretty sure they don't pay you £84,000 <laughs> a year. Yeah, but it might be my extracurricular, which does. However, myself and my friend decided the other day that if <laughs> we became glamour if we became glamour prostitutes or whatever excuse it is for not being some kind of toothless whore somewhere, then we wouldn't do very well. I thought you got shit-canned by your um, side gig. Oh, uh, I don't know because they seem to be making a bit of a fuss about me trying to throw in the towel. <laughs> so I might be tied into it. I hope not. You shouldn't be throwing your towels anywhere in the newsroom. Sanitary towels. Uh, it's a jam sandwich. I hate it here. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Hang on. A jam sandwich is an old nickname for a police car when they used to be white with like a red is stripe it? on the side. Yeah. I call them used sanitary towels. I think you're, I think you're referring to a jam, jam rag. If you're referring to anything, it's a jam rag. <laughs> What's really weird is okay, I know you'll have something to say about this. On You know, on your Facebook feedy thing, it kind of gives you adverts. Do you mean my specific one or, or Facebook feed in general? One's, one's Facebook feed. Okay, one's what, Facebook What adverts do you get on it? And be honest. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I get lots and lots of adverts for, um, uh, like, kind of rail-related things. Oh, of I'm course, yeah. Railways. Um, <laughs> I've, I've noticed a couple of adverts for erectile dysfunction. <laughs> oh, that's so old hat. I had that years ago. <laughs> I didn't know you suffered from erectile dysfunction. Neither did I. <laughs> um, I get I get a few now asking me about my pension um, and stuff. Mm. Um, oh, they're not as fun as mine. I th- but the thing is, I don't really read them. I just notice them. I just scroll oh, through I can't. Them. I can't not notice them because of okay, a so because of, of the size ones. they are on Facebook. Um, one is period pants, and then in the period next pants. in the next second, it's tenor pants, and I'm thinking, make up your mind, Facebook. From period pants to in conti briefs. Yes, which one am I, old lady or young fecund 
Oh, I said that with a bit of a shaky voice. Young <laughs> Seriously, and then and then I got a pair of crotchless tights the other day. Oh God, crotchless mm. tights! They thinking you're in sort of like a second flush of like you know randiness. Or what do you do? Are those a sexual purpose? Are they oh, here we go. easy so I'm just access through, for I'm just scrolling through changing or tampons? What is it? I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed now. <laughs> the first thing I've got is one for erectile dysfunction. Um, yeah. Oh. Oh. So you got you got my. Then I've got one for something about a digital notebook, which I'm really not interested in at all. Uh, then I've got one for uh, something to do with again something to do with computers that I don't understand. I'm not interested in. So yeah, it's just basically computers and um, and Mr. Floppycock. That's it. Okay. Something about. Um, a joke thing. That's uh, not really. It. Oh, there we go. Got one for the um, the, the out of the blue, the the inside story of Liz Truss, which was originally on sale for fourteen ninety nine, then remained down to seventy seven ninety nine, then reduced to clear to ninety nine p. And the last sticker on it says, "Please just take it for free." <laughs> but I do get quite a few um, Facebook ads for sort of music related things, which is odd because I'm not I'm not really interested in music at all. How can you, you do tootle away in your little granny car to some? You're what, like, what, oh, what, we, what, and what, I can hear, what do like, I listen you, to? You get out of your car and you'll be humming some ABBA or something off Radio 2. Well, I mean, maybe a bit of the, the Carpenters, perhaps. But beyond that, <laughs> if I'm in my car on my own, I usually listen to Radio 4. But I might I might put on Radio 2, um, but only to listen to Ken Bruce. Is obviously. that because of your former um, glory and, days? Yeah, obviously. And then when I'm um, in the car with anybody else, for example, like um, Pendo Mike, my business partner, he puts on all his music and he's got very good taste in music. He's really interested in it. But I'm not much of a music man myself, I'm afraid. Who cares about this? This is boring, isn't it? Yes, which is exactly why I'd like to give you what's coming up in our flobcast. I mean, we should podcast. just introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah, I'm Ben Ando. I think I used to be someone, but I actually am never anyone. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm similar to my pod host in many ways. We are joined by the beard <laughs> and our love of crime. And we met, our eyes locked across a courtroom eight. <laughs> When I tried I to, when I tripped eight. over, when I tripped over Benando's feet at the old bayleaf, because <laughs> you weren't wearing your dancing shoes, <laughs> and then ended up it... sitting on his lap, and everyone squawked. It was instant hate in courtroom eight. <laughs> so that that's what we like doing, isn't it? We like the sound of our own voices. So uh, <laughs> the co-host who won't shut up is Victoria Mitzi. Oh. Well, yeah, I was doing that there, wasn't I? Well, you just said me, so I didn't... So who are you? I to say you. You've just said. No, 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 who are you? You've got to be me now. Oh, okay. Um, See, it's a game. Goodness me. (laughs) I'm somebody who's um, worked in a... in in a a remarkably high number of different radio (laughs) newsroom companies. I'm now living and working down in Devon. I have a small child. (laughs) And I'm doing what I do for Queen and or King and Country, as I should say now. Is that it? What okay, about what the fun stuff okay, part well, of you it? Talk, you talk about. I'm really then. fun and and vivacious. Oh yeah, sorry, she's really fun and vivacious. And I give you a run for your money. I don't let you speak a sentence. The duration of the podcast. <laughs> you never let me finish. Okay, I'm only here because actually I. 
and the person who makes Ben turn up, and he's quite good. There you are. No, 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 no. You're you do all the hard work. You do all the editing. You oh, put it all look together. No, I mean you do. I'd say, in terms of how the, the the amount of work that is put into this podcast and has been done and has been consistently for what two and a half years now, mm. I'd say ninety percent of it is done by you. Can I say what the worst bit out of that is? Yes. Oh, I, I'm I'm eating an ice cream. I can't make it tonight. Um. Oh shit. Sorry. Did we say next week at five p.m.? Oh no, we didn't. We didn't. And now, now, can I just say, listeners, I have a, v- a, a view of Ben's middle finger followed by the up yours and faces and all sorts of abuse. And this is what I do for the love of you. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Welcome finally. to our podcast. Right. Holly and Jessica, one of the yes. biggest crimes... We've tried this week by the joys of televisual dramatizations and documentaries. You've been inspired by a documentary you've been watching about Holly and Jessica. And I've been inspired by a documentary, uh, by a drama I've been watching um, about a case from quite a few years ago, in fact. It was one that kind of was quite formative when I was starting out in journalism. And it was the murder of Rachel Nickell on Wimbledon Common, as witnessed by her little boy who was left alive by her body. And the subsequent Met Police investigation, which caused an enormous sort of hoo-ha, they focused on an individual and they tried to entrap him into admitting his guilt. And it didn't work. And in fact, it didn't work because he was innocent and the real killer was somebody completely different who is now... Uh, behind bars but we'll come on to that after we've talked about Holly and Jessica okay I'm I am absolutely fascinated by the Rachel Nickel murder oh tell me why are you interested in what you've been watching because on uh, Maxine Carr the viewpoint provided by Maxine Carr uh-huh. gives you a slightly different angle on the crime which in itself is dare I say fascinating it is interesting why the let down that the school didn't check Ian Huntley's previous that they were supposed to do. I mean, that is one thing which is just terrible in itself. Um, But it's also what he did and how he tried to cover it up and their television interviews. It makes it a very sensational case. But then you see the viewpoint of somebody who is completely besotted by a complete loser, which makes for a great drama. Yeah. So did it answer why she became so besotted by somebody you've just described as a complete loser? Yes, she was To the point at which she was willing to perjure herself. If you let me finish. um, She (laughs) was very interested in the house, according to the drama. Um, That was a major status. He got a house as part of the package of being a caretaker. And she was a young uh-huh. woman in her mid-twenties. And she I think she was just, from what I, this is my interpretation after watching that, that she was very interested in being in a relationship with someone she liked who provided her with what she wanted. <laughs> Were they clear? That's an interesting comment that she was in a relationship with someone she liked. Were they clear that she didn't love him? Oh, no, I don't think they were making that point. I think... Uh. I think she was kind of besotted, but they were both some, they made, I think this was factual, that they were both 
trying to get it on with other people. They were a bit oversexed I mean, or something. But pretty, I mean, surely at, at some point when she started to suspect that Ian Huntley may have had something to do with the disappearance of Holly and Jessica, mm. at what point did she think, hang on, this free house isn't worth it? It's the same turning point that we found with Fred and Rose, isn't it? That they realise, and, and with um, Baby P's mother, as soon as they realise that they can do better by turning on the person they've been trying to cover for, I think it's that kind of legal bargaining point. So according to this, I mean, I'm going off the drama because it's the most recent thing that I've seen about it. And according to that, her solicitor is feeding her the information about Huntley trying to, first of all, that they tapped her or recorded her on the phone to, I think, his mother. Yeah, it was his mother um, saying that the girls were in the house. And uh-huh. so she's kind of thinking, and, and it was at the point of no return that she was going to be got. Yeah. These things are much more interesting seen in drama because it's the closest you'll ever get to the crime. And what went yeah. on yeah. in the living and breathing of it, it's kind of a relevant expression because there were the excuses that Huntley used for having killed the girls were just crazy. Yes, that's true. Anyway, tell the- you've got to talk to me about it because you covered it. Well, I mean, I did. I, I did On that note, do you remember those? Um, do you remember what he said? Who? Huntley, about how they died. Yes, I mean, well, I mean, so it all, it all started. I wasn't there when Huntley was interviewed, but I know he gave an interview to, I think, Brian from Press Association, Brian Farmer. And Brian, had, somebody had said to him, they, he was asked something like, how do you think they'd have reacted if they were being kidnapped or something like that? And he gave this remarkably um, specific answer. He didn't just say, oh, I'm sure they'd have been terrified, which I think is the answer that the um, journalists were expecting. He said something like, oh, you know, um, Jessica would have just got in the car, but Holly would have put up a fight or, or something like that, which was remarkably specific. And I remember that at that point, the journalists thought, hang on, that seems a bit odd. They went to the police and told them this because it sounded it sounded like what somebody who had seen it really happen would say. And that made that put Huntley Foursquare right in the centre of the investigation and immediately kind of elevated him to suspect number one. And, and but of course, he that's because he had done it. His, his claim was that they had called round at his house for some weird reason after the family barbecue they'd been attending um he had invited them in one of them i think he claimed had said she wanted to have a bath or something and he had run a nosebleed as well oh a nosebleed that's right well and no no the nosebleed happened in a minute so one of them had gone upstairs fallen over in the bathroom banged her nose had a nosebleed he was starting to he was trying to stop the blood but accidentally suffocated her trying to stop the blood. Mm. And then the other one was screaming so much, he tried to shut her up and accidentally killed her as well. Mm. Oh, and there was a very small amount of water in the bath because he said he was trying to clean the dog. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's and just... And they fell in that it, and that was the drowning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just so... I shouldn't really laugh, but it's just so mm. pathetic. Mm. But, I mean, it was like... Um, have you ever seen... Um, 
uh, Blackadder where late, his puritanical aunt is visiting Lady Whiteadder and he wants to talk about the uh, inheritance and one of his friends, and he's at the same time he's having a party elsewhere in his house, and one of his friends comes in and says, great booze up, Edmund. And his, his aunt says, can you explain that? Played, played by the brilliant Miriam, Miriam Margulies, I should say. And he sort of thinks about it for about five minutes and says, yes, I can. And then comes up with this most convoluted explanation of a, of a tribal elder called Great Boo, who has been asleep but has now woken up because, as she heard, Great Boo's up. <laughs> and it's, it, it's almost as, as stupid as that. that but it's not as funny. And I love the way that everything comes back to Blackadder. Yeah. Well, it really course. does. Everything in life comes back to Blackadder. So, 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 so I think if we haven't whetted your appetite enough to watch that, have a watch. Yeah, I think I, it sounds pretty good. Um, but mm. what I've been watching is yes, another show. Do tell us. Called, which the title of the program pretty much cuts to the heart of what this is all about. The title of the program is called Deceit, and it centres on the investigation into, or a particular aspect of the investigation of the murder of Rachel Nickell. Now, Rachel Nickell uh, was uh, killed on Wimbledon Common in 1992 um, in front of her two-year-old son. Uh, she was sexually assaulted and she was, I think, um, subjected to a ferocious and absolutely vicious attack. And in the weeks after the murder, there was an enormous amount of pressure on the police, obviously, to find who'd done this. Um, there was that whole is anybody safe feeling, especially around South London and Wimbledon, you know, near where it took place. Um, and Can, it, it's quite important that it is Southwest. Yeah. Wimbledon. Yes, yeah, Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. You said South. Oh, OK. Well, mm. it's South the Thames, but OK, Southwest if we must. Mm. Um, and it so attention focused on this area of South West London Thanks. and attention rapidly turned to a man called Colin Stagg. Colin Stagg was, I think, by most accounts, a bit of an oddball. He'd been a bit of a loner. He'd been walking his dog at around about the same time. And he had um, not tried to hide this or anything, but he was quite clear when questioned that he had nothing to do with it. Now, the police were sure he did. They had decided, thanks to the evidence or thanks to the th thanks to... Um, this, was a, this was the era of psychological profiling and, and the sort of... the the. The, the, the king of the psychological profilers was uh, Paul Britton, uh, who wrote a, 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 a book um, a, a, that included this as, as, as well as a number of other cases. It was that era when the classic police tactic, if they had a suspect, was to make them do a press conference. Uh, they did it with John Tanner, um, who uh, murdered his girlfriend, um, Rachel, in Oxford. They did it with Sean Jenkins following the Billy Joe uh, killing, although which course, we covered. Jenkins was subsequently acquitted, and they 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 didn't do a press conference with uh, Colin Stagg, but they got a psychological profile done. The psychological profile decided that the killer of the Rachel Nickel would be a loner, would be this, would be that, and Colin Stagg fitted the bill. So they came up with this plan to entrap him. They got a policewoman uh, whose name. The, the only name we've ever known is Lizzie James. That's not her real name. It's the name she's always been referred to as. So Lizzie James wrote to Colin. This is, of course, pre-internet. This is 92. So she wrote to him via... Um, he had he had been in, had sort of like written on a Lonely Hearts column some one months before. She then wrote back to him saying that the person he had written to was a friend of hers. She'd seen the letter and some of its themes had excited her. And she claimed that she was very excited by sort of, you know, 
ideas around sort of satanic rituals, around ideas of violence during sex and so on and so forth. I mean, who wouldn't be, frankly? But she um, she wrote sort of around all this sort of stuff. And he started writing back to her and they, they got into this relationship. And she, with the sort of uh, encouragement strokes sort of mentoring of the psychologist, she was trying to get him to admit that he had killed Rachel Nickel. So she would be saying, oh, my God, Colin, it would be so exciting if you really had done it and all this kind of stuff. And he kept saying was, I'd love to tell you what you want to hear, Lizzie, but I didn't do it. And eventually they met up for real. And again, she was wearing a wire, but he didn't really admit it. Or the only the closest it came was that he suggested that he knew something about how the body had been found. Now, her body had been sort of laid out in a kind of certain way but the way it had been laid out was actually significantly different to how he had described but the police had got themselves into such a muddle and such a tiz thinking that he was the guy that they convinced themselves that this that he was saying the same thing which he wasn't and a judge saw through it straight away the judge said well, hang on you're saying he described her hands at a crucifix when actually her hands weren't in a crucifix. They were just crossed in front of themselves, like, like in a sort of like a random way. It's completely different. And the judge just literally threw out all the Lizzie James evidence because Colin Stagg was charged with the murder. Um, but the nearly all the evidence against him really, other than the most vague circumstantial evidence that he happened to be in the same on the park that morning um, was around the testimony of Lizzie James and the letters and that kind of stuff. And that was all, the judge ruled that all inadmissible, at which point the Crown just stood up and said, we've got no case to offer, and Colin Stagg was released without uh, without being convicted or anything. So it was a massive fiasco. But the, the drama was really interesting because it did focus very much on the woman officer, Lizzie James, and, and on the impact it had on her. And what's really unfair is that she was literally doing what she'd been asked to do by the senior investigating officer, by... Paul Britton, the psychologist, and effectively signed off. And it was clear, or it was clear to her that this investigation, this tactic had been signed off at the highest levels within the Met. But of course, as soon as it all went wrong, she was hung out to dry. Um, she left, the, despite having a glowing record up to that point, she left the Met Police soon afterwards. And uh, I think now lives in sort of like, presumably quite contented obscurity. But it was just interesting how they sort of effectively she carried the can for this complete balls up. And of course, what we learned later, because DNA techniques improved over the years, and I think in around about 2006, 2007, um, they resampled some of the um, clothing that had been found. They found another DNA trace, and that DNA was from a man who was already in custody for another crime involving the murder of a woman and a child in London. And that was Robert Knapper. And he was in a secure um, psychiatric hospital. And he has admitted killing Rachel Nickel as well. The tragedy of all of this is, and the thing that I think makes me and others angry about it, is that if the police hadn't been quite so railroaded down this idea that Colin Stagg was the killer when he wasn't, then they might have done more to try to look at other aspects of evidence. They might, because there were some other clues that could have taken them to Robert Knapper sooner, but they were so obsessed with the, the stag side of things, they kind of ignored them. And the, the murders that he was convicted for originally and put in hospital for took place after Rachel Nickel's murder. So that victim, uh, Samantha Blissett, I think her name was, and her child might be alive if the police had actually looked at all the evidence, kept an open mind and caught Robert Knapper. Do you Napa have for... any idea why that tends to happen? That it, the police they, well, often latch on to something. 
Yeah, I do. I think, first of all, there is, you know, I have a huge amount of sympathy for the police when they're investigating a really serious crime. Take Holly and Jessica, take Levi Belfield, take um, the Night Stalker, take take Rachel Nickel. There is, a, is a enormous public interest in the case. There's enormous pressure to find who done it, both in the interests of justice being done and also for public reassurance reasons. And I think they, there is always an element in any organisation, especially a quite um, regimented, um, structured, institutionalised organisation like the police. There is an element of groupthink, and it's a it's a very sort of pyramidal, hierarchical organisation. So if a senior officer decides X is the way to go, it's very hard for those ranks below to stand up and say, no, I think you're wrong there. I think we should do this instead of this. And if you think about it, Levi Belfield um, is a good example. The Night Stalker is an excellent example. I mean, the Night Stalker really was caught because the officers investigated come to a bit of a dead end. Colin Sutton, who, you know, our friend, friend of the podcast, was called in to investigate it. He looked at it afresh with a fresh pair of eyes. It wasn't so much that the previous team had missed things. They just maybe he maybe reassessed the importance of some things against other things, and that led them down a slightly different path. And he was a, he wasn't an institution dweller of a person. Yeah, I mean, Either. you know, Collins a bit of a free thinker, a bit of an yeah, independent thinker. Yeah, exactly. Thinker. That's yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, and yeah, so it certainly is the case that for that reason, but of course, this is 1992. We're talking what, uh, sorry, ten years earlier, and. You know, and, and the police do learn from things. So, you know, they learn from the Rachel Nickel case. What they learn from the Rachel Nickel case probably informed their judgment in calling in for a fresh pair of advice in the, the Delroy Grant case. Um, and in fact, going back to Holly and Jessica, what the police learned from the failure to apprehend Ian Huntley sooner, or the fact, not so much the failure to apprehend him, but the fact that he should never really have been um, given a job as a school caretaker, given his previous record, was they, they created the National Police Database out of that. So... You know, it is tragic that you need serious, nasty things to happen for you really to learn lessons. But sometimes you just do. Mm. Well, I think that's that one done and dusted. Dharma, have you? You've got no desire to watch Dharma, have you? Well, Jeffrey Dharma, drama, the, the, the American Dharma serial drama. the Dharma drama. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Sakir Dharma. Well, he's been learning from the Dharma drama. I've already mentioned Brian Farmer. Isn't there Brian Lana? <laughs> Brian Lara. He was a cricketer, Lara. brilliant cricketer. Yeah, yeah, okay. I got it slightly wrong there because I don't know anything yeah. about cricket. <laughs> you don't like cricket? Uh, oh, no. You love it? Oh, no. That's my cat <laughs> oh, voice. What voice is that? Oh, no. Your Caribbean voice. Little cat. It's Little cat. voice oh, like God. that. And I'm, well, no, no, no. I do say to anyone who wants to talk to my cat... And I didn't get her just to be a Mrs. Slocum. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I say you have to address her in the manner in which she's accustomed to, which is, oh, you have to talk to her in a voice like that. Because she understands Look, nobody that. cares that you're becoming some kind of insane cat lady. <laughs> they're, they're not even enjoying the cliche. So hang on. So you're Mrs. You talk Slocum. You to a cat like that. I don't remember the. Do you remember the individual? Because I was obviously very young. I remember I just... most of them. Yeah, there was oh, Mrs. Slocum. We all remember Captain Peacock, Miss Brahms, was played by a young kind of Wendy eyebrow Richard. up. Oh yeah, uh, she was the foxy one. And of course, one. are you being served? Was John Inman? You're a cross between. I'm, I'm free. free. I'm free. Was Mrs. Slocum? Free. I'm free. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> John Inman, brilliant. The brilliant John Inman. Very funny. Yeah, 
that's okay. And no, no interest in uh, all my... sorts of stereotypes you'd never get away with nowadays. Of oh, course. that I'm absolutely still fixated on. <laughs> Just going going back to Dharma, having a yeah. discussion about that with other people. How do we get from Jeffrey Dharma to Are You Being Served? Only here. Go on then. Only going here. back to Dharma. A lot of people have really enjoyed it and gone. And actually, I was talking about this on um, on Talk TV. Did I mention? Uh-huh. Oh yes. I... Sort of occasionally feature on talk TV. <laughs> a lot of the presenters were into it, and I don't. I found my reason for not enjoying it so much was that he looks a bit smelly, and I don't mind like oh chop the head off and chop this off and chop that off. But I don't like a smelly person. You don't like off. a smelly person? No, it's just all about like his smelly, and they keep going in and going. Oh, it's smelly in here. Why do they keep going in? I mean, if you if you're sort of if you just the met some kind with the of stranger, Dharma thing that you're not interested in, yeah, the whole thing of the Dharma thing that I'm not interested in, yeah. So if the, you, they if kept you... on like he kept on getting called. The police kept on getting called on him, and um, and he just kept on turning around and telling them porkies, and they'd go off because they were homophobic. Ah, uh huh. So they he was like, this so you're saying boyfriend. it was much easier to be a homosexual serial killer in those days. Yes, it's an outrage, a travesty. And one of the boys was 14. At this point, he drilled a hole in his head and uh-huh. poured sulfuric acid in. And the right. boy was kind of out of it. I think he'd been given booze as well. And then they, he tried to escape. They found them in the street. The neighbours had called the cops. And the cops turned up. And Jeffrey Dahmer said, it's a lover's tiff, you know, we're homosexuals. And the, the police, you could see in the in the dramatisation of it that the police were like, uh. but I think it was quite relevant to what I'd read about it. And, um, and he said it was a lover's tiff. So they returned this minor back to the care of Jeffrey Dahmer without even asking about the age of the boy and it was clear that he looked in the photographs he looked like a 14 year old because they just didn't want anything to do didn't the police think that anything was slightly odd about the fact that he had a hole drilled in his head full of sulfuric acid well yes but I think he'd been he was he was was virtually comatose so I think that what was considered normal was not considered to be a normal evaluation when it came to people they had a prejudice against yeah fair enough so well, i think I he so. said something about him you know he he oh yes that the, the the guy was violent towards him or they were having a lover's tiff so it was just like yeah. a knock on the head or something and i guess that if you're drilled there won't be a copious amount of blood i suppose it depends if you drill through a vein or a artery doesn't it i've never drilled in someone's like Head. No, no. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think there are very few people who have direct experience of drilling into somebody's skull. So, you know, I mean, it's something that neither of us can talk about with any great degree of knowledge. No, and it won't go down I've drilled, in our I've, I've drilled hall into of a fame. piece of wood. I don't think. Well, I think it would be similar because if you drill drilled deep into enough, a bathroom wall, well, I've if drilled you drill, into, yeah, I've drilled into grout. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, but if you drill deep <laughs> enough, then. Surely the fluid has to kind of return by a distance then. What, in grout? I'm not getting through, am I? Maybe I need to drill a hole. <laughs> You've got a blunt drill. You're not getting through. <laughs> it's the if old, you're, okay, old so story. If you, you're, so if you drill through a skull, obviously you've got a layer of skin and then you've got a layer of subcutaneous tissue. Then you've got the, 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 the bone of the skull. Mm. And then inside that, you've just got the... Um, what is it? The, the the meninge, which is the sort of um, the the membrane that surrounds the brain, and then you've got the brain itself. Haven't you got a load of fluid in the middle? Did you in cover the that bit? Well, the, doesn't the brain. the brain float around in loads of fluid? 
it brain it, it floats around in some fluid which is why that if you get sort of you know a nasty shudder to the head it can cause damage to the brain mm. but i mean it's quite tight against the skull it's not like it's, it depends how big your brain is i suppose <laughs> i mean your so like brain might be floating around in gallons of fluid and it's like a <laughs> tiny little thing in the middle there did you like my analogy or probably more like cabbage in sort of I don't know, something thicker than soup. Oh, do you thicker think it is? What's it, what do you think it's like? Cabbaging fluid? chowder. <laughs> I like a good chowder. Do you? I, I, I love a good fish chowder. Oh, yeah. Mm, yum, yum, yum. Well, um, moving on from your personal preferences. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> if you I want to think... get my mouth to water, all you have to say is it's chowder time. Foodies, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've started saying, since you said that, it go- comes into my head when I'm about to feed the cat. That's not a <laughs> euphemism. <laughs> Does the cat get chowder? No way. But she'd love chowder. No, my neighbours told me yesterday that they give, they like prepare stuff for their dog and cats. Like mm. they'll make a steak, kidney pie and stuff for the animals. Well, they actually make fresh food for their yeah. animals. Well, they'll just buy it in a can and sort of No, 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 like smoked salmon, stuff from Waitrose. Do people still do that thing where they get a can of Whiskers cat food, they slam it on the table, pull the can off, and there's a solid sort of jelly-shaped can thing <laughs> No, because no one does they cans. They slice it down the middle and just flop it over. Do you have cans for your cat? What's your cat? No, Daisy. She's Daisy. Yeah, it's all pouches now. What yeah, pouches, pouches does she have? I don't know. They're, they're little ones that I tear open and scoop out the You don't know what they are? In, I don't know. Some kind of gourmet shit, I expect. <laughs> Stuff I wouldn't be allowed. Yeah, exactly. Gourmet yeah. No, shit. I think, okay, she has tuna, she has duck, she has beef. With I'm not interested in the flavour, I want to know the make. I have no idea what the make is. Because I'm trying out different makes on Misty. And okay. she has rejected Tesco's. She doesn't like Sainsbury's own brand, so she wants well, you shouldn't fancy cheat out, stuff. should you? I'll tell you what I'll do. after this. Listen to stage, that! How, I'll go how and have a look. me in my place? Uh, you cheaped out on the bed. Cheapskate. <laughs> I will go and have a look and I will text you after the podo. And if anybody's interested, I'm sure you put it on our Twitter. Hey, Because I think all our listeners are desperate to know what brand of cat food we each serve. I'll have you know that we have a lot of cat owners for listeners. Oh, I like that. They be loving the pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Talking of that, okay, right, let's go to interaction, shall we? Go on then. Or should we go into cat sitting, which I desperately want to talk about? I think we need to get on with it, whatever we're going to do. Going back to the Sexomnia, the title of last week's podcast, Uh um, it was about the what was verging on miscarriage of justice, they they were saying. Let's have a look. Shocking, says Farah. Thank you for your email. How many other victims, says Farah, have been let down in similar ways? Um, referring to Jade McCrossan Nethercott's rape case, which wasn't taken seriously. It was dropped because of evidence, which which was biased. I think we can summarise it that way and not taken to trial. So how many other victims have been let down in similar ways? The system needs a complete overhaul, starting with police corruption, which has been in the news, hasn't it, Ben? Do we, have we spoken yep. about that, you and I? Yep. I think yep. we we mentioned it. This is interesting. Is the only way a victim of rape or sexual assault can get some semblance of justice via the media? Because um, as it, and it's not mentioned in that, but I presume that Farah is referring to the BBC program that's been made about 
Jade's miscarriage. I think it's an interesting question. I mean, the the first, well, the very first thing to consider on that is that all um, victims of sexual assault are given anonymity. So anybody who wants to talk about their case in the media has a a very serious decision to make about whether they are willing to waive their anonymity. And that's a big question for anybody to um, ask themselves uh, in such circumstances. I can understand how if somebody doesn't feel that they receive justice, they may want to waive their anonymity to um, draw attention to this. The difficulty then for the journalists and for the broadcasting or media organizations is if somebody says i was i was raped and it was by fred bloggs first of all fred bloggs can sue if they haven't been convicted uh secondly if they have been tried and acquitted then um you know effectively saying that no the courts were wrong uh they did carry out the rape again is liable and you know arguably is also in contempt of court if the victim gave evidence and has not accepted the outcome of the case so it's a difficult one it's not easy and the whole issue around I mean you know we've said before the whole issues around sexual assault rape and the um, criminal justice impacts that you have and the consequences you have after that are not easy they're very difficult and very very easy to get wrong it's very difficult it's incredibly difficult to draw the line in the correct place between making criminal justice fair for the victims to ensure that rapists are convicted and jailed and fair for the accused where false accusations sometimes sadly are made and those need to be exposed just as much as the real rapists do and it's incredibly difficult to find where is the optimum place to put the line in terms of evidence some people say you should probably with sex offense cases make both victim and accused anonymous until there is a conviction at conviction the identity of the accused could be revealed and i think there might be some merit in that because theoretically at least it shouldn't make any difference to a victim whether their accuser is named or not named provided justice is done the police would then say well hold on a minute when we name an accuser often other victims come forward and you get the situation where the sheer number of victims actually adds weight to the prosecution but is that fair shouldn't the juries be considering each individual case on its own merits yes but every time they're not then people are really bothered by the fact that these other uh, related offenses haven't been disclosed yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. And that's, as I said, there are no easy answers here. No. And there are no good answers, in fact. There Talking are, of there no are easy answers. Not great answers. We Sorry? have a listener who wants to know why you refer to previous conquests as lucky ladies. <laughs> oh, sorry, I should have said unlucky ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, I definitely misspoke there. <laughs> Inc- maybe you go further, incredibly unlucky ladies. <laughs> no, you do say lucky lady, you always say lucky lady. Is it a thing? Is it um, lucky for you? I just... <laughs> I don't talk about my, myself. I, I, I think it's just one of those alliterative <laughs> phrases that we like. There are all sorts of alliterative, alliterative phrases that we like. Interesting. That's one that I like. One. And also a little empathy coming from this listener in that I too have fallen asleep during an act of love. <laughs> he or she. Well, I'm glad says. to hear. So, no, I'm not the, I'm yeah. not the only. Maybe that's what unites you didn't let me finish podcast. <laughs> what, fans. lack of empathy? <laughs> and uh, where's this other one? I've got another one and then we'll close. 
Oh, you didn't let me finish. Is also on Buy Me a Coffee forward slash YDLMF. You know, this is where I get my only. Thing. This is where I get most of my exercise of the week, carrying out the massive eye roll. Cardio eye roll. <laughs> yeah, That's all the cardio you do. Okay, <laughs> dear YDLMF. So in just over a month, Liz Trust tanked the pound brought pension funds to the brink of collapse, ended the era of low-interest mortgages, and even convinced the Queen there was nothing left to live for! Exclamation <laughs> mark. Should this be regarded as one of the biggest crimes of the century? With a, ex- a question mark and an exclamation mark. Thank you, Max from Derby. I think Max from Derby's answered his own question there, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> that was a fantastic <laughs> message to get. I wonder if he sent his message before or after she quit, having the day before said she wasn't a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she even you turned on whether she's a quitter or not. There are some there are some brilliant little skits and memes and stuff around there. They're very funny. <laughs> what do you think about all of this, Ben? About uh, all of what? You the know, whole all of this shit. <laughs> yeah. I I I, th- I think it all goes back to Brexit. Whichever, whatever you think about Brexit, whether you think it was a good thing or you think it's a bad thing, the reality is that what Brexit did in one night, when we you know the, the, when we counted the vote of the referendum in one day, is it put a schism through politics and certainly through the Conservative Party, where suddenly you were either uh, you know one of the great Brexiteers or you were some unclean Remainer, and it's just been troublesome since then because brexit created this illusion that you can have i mean it's the cake it's you can have your cake and eat it i mean the whole point of the phrase you can have your cake and eat it is it's a fallacy you can't you can never do that and yet brexit seems to have said yeah we can enjoy all the benefits of europe without actually being in the eu without having to pay out to europe which was just insanity we all know it's shit except the people who don't because they made a mistake and they can't face it for sure but but we are where we are the 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 problem is the essential um issue with brexit as well is that if somebody says well okay we voted to leave the eu most people don't maybe who voted to leave just don't really want to be part of the political eu they don't like the idea of you know brussels making rules about carrots that we can't blah 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 I don't think that many people were too bothered about the customs union and wanting to sort of like suddenly have to fill out loads of export and import documents just to import or export from Europe. I don't think most people even thought about Northern Ireland and the fact the whole of the Good Friday Agreement is predicated on there being a completely friction-free, well, almost a, you know, a, a, an absent border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And those issues are bringing Brexit down because... What the ERG managed to convince the government to do somehow is go for the hardest possible Brexit ever. And we, you know, get Brexit done. We haven't got Brexit done. Brexit's nowhere near done. Look at Northern Ireland. Look at the, the shit show there. We have we won't have a border in the North Sea, except we've got a border in the North Sea. We'll have frictionless trade with Europe, except we haven't got frictionless trade with Europe. Um, it'll be the easiest deal ever. It wasn't the easiest deal ever. German car makers, German car makers don't give a shit. It's up to, it's up to EU governments. I mean, you know, all the delusional chickens are coming home to roost now. And it's just and so faced facing the problems caused by the war in Ukraine and by the pandemic, the, the emotional, sorry, the economic toll that they will inevitably take on any country economy the fact that we're about i don't know uh 10 15 lower than we should be because of the financial and economic impact of brexit puts us in an even you know even worse position than those other countries and i you know whoever gets the job um or even the next government whichever whatever complexion it is 
is still going to face those facts until some party says, look, Brexit's gone wrong. We might not rejoin the full EU, but we need to get back into at least the economic side of it and enjoy the economic benefits. Then we're going to lurch on like some kind of sad little peripheral island spiraling down it's worse into everything. that, we're a complete obscurity. mess. We are a complete mess. Yeah, but and I everyone mean, everyone knows now. I mean, I, I think, I think, <laughs> you know, I think the ship can be steadied. I'm not going to. I'm not too much of a pessimist. I, you know, big countries have big economies, have lots of people still doing work. Stuff is getting done. Things will happen. The war in Ukraine will end. Um, Putin will either be deposed or there'll be some kind of a negotiated settlement and the arteries of trade will start flowing again. But what we need to do is think, hang on, people here who wanted to retire to Spain or Italy or Portugal can't now do that. People, expats who live in Spain or, or elsewhere in the EU are suddenly finding their lives are much harder and they may have to return to the UK. Healthcare is a big issue in that regard, certainly for the older generation. All of those situations need to be addressed. We And we we just, what we need to do, in my opinion, is say, well, okay, we won't rejoin the political EU. We don't want to be part of the um, the huge Brussels stroke Strasbourg bureaucracy, but we will get some kind of a Norway deal that allows us to trade, allows us to enjoy all those advantages. And we'll we'll accept that that is the price of sort of living in a globalised community, which is where we are. And to, and to pretend we're not, is just kidding ourselves. It's just kidding ourselves. Are you trying to kid Delusional. yourself? Not quite. Bye-bye, everybody. On, on that rant, on that note, which if you want to edit it out, by the way, that's fine. <laughs> no, I do agree with you. I think along with Liz Truss, it's just pitiful and it makes me go a bit like, wah, 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 I mean, wah. Liz Truss herself, I mean, goodness me, can there be an, a more unprepossessing, uncharismatic person who's clearly... This is, this is, there's, there's this great thing about, you know... What is it for years? If you know, follow your dreams. If you believe you can make it happen, if you really believe in yourself, you can make it happen. But Liz Truss is a clear example. She clearly believed she could do it, but she couldn't because she's stupid. We have never had it so good. You know, sometimes people need to understand and accept their limitations. And it's really difficult to say to somebody, look, I like you as a person, but you aren't really up to this job. You're not quite good enough for this job. You're not bright enough. You're not determined enough. You're not clever enough. You can't uh, listen to all sides of an argument yeah. enough. Why not just become a podcaster then? <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly Liz, the Liz Trust podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't listen. Or do we all just need to sleep a bit more a night? What? Do we just need to huh? sleep a bit more? How, how oh, yeah. long do you <laughs> sleep a night? Me? Uh, last night I think I slept about 10 hours. I sleep loads. What? I love sleeping. Yeah. You animal. I went to bed at midnight. I woke about 10. Actually, 10 17. That's so I looked at my, flabbergasting. My, my I like a good night's sleep. What's wrong with a good night's sleep? Goodness, you hardly used to get any sleep when you were at the BBC. Well, that was because I used to work a lot of night shifts and they really knocked I your thought circadian you were a short rhythm sleeper. Maybe I'm, well, I, I used to be, but I think I've changed. Maybe I'm getting more sleep now. I'm more relaxed. That's now my life is you. more genteel. Now I'm not st stress, as stressed as I used to be. It reminds me of one of our friends of the podcast, Big Bear. You're now the Big Bear who hibernates in his little. Not, I don't think a ten-hour sleep is quite stump. hibernating. I can't believe you get ten hours. What a luxury! Well, you're talking to the parent of a small child. I can't remember exactly. when I last had ten hours. Um, so, brilliant. any sponsors who want to do any sleep studies, please and that take me away. That's why I'm in such a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he loves poking fun at me so much. Happy oh, all days. right then. Okay. Well, do you want to know about my circadian rhythms? Go on then. 
I sleep about seven or eight hours a night. But I know so many people. You didn't used to get that. And no, I didn't. I know loads of people who get five hours or something. What happens to them versus your ten hours? Are you just sort of chariots of fire of a person? Stealer. I'm the stealer of sleep. Anyway, we, it's, yeah. it's now. You didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. Yay. We love talking Bye-bye, to you. Everybody. Thanks for all your interactions and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Have fun in Romania. Romania. And I'm going to Espana, so we will report back. Bye. Love you.